He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad! Oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Head over to GolfOklahoma.org. Check it all out. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys with you as always. Some exciting uh, new developments on the show. Jim Woodward, Woody, one of our favorite guests, one of you all's favorite guests. We've gotten a ton of positive feedback with his appearances with us over the years. He's going to become a more regular guest here on the 73rd Hole. He's going to pop in. Uh, we're going to do a segment with Woody every show. So Woody will be joining us here in about 15 minutes to talk about uh, Jordan Spieth, or as the guy handing out the jacket on Sunday called him, Justin Spieth. And uh, <laughs> we'll get his thoughts on all of that stuff. So excited to have Woody on more regularly, Sam. I can't wait to have Woody on you know, just an absolute legend. And he kind of reached out to us and said, I want to do more stuff. And we opened our arms and said, we would love for you to do more stuff. So we have keeping it Woody with Woody. Yeah, wasn't a hard sell at all. So, uh, Taylor, you had some lessons and some things going on on Monday. Glad to have you back. Jordan Spieth in the winner's circle. Uh, today, before we get into this Greg Norman 30 for 30 last night, I wanted to pull up the PGA Tour U rankings and get your thoughts on them, Taylor. We talked a little Eugenio Lopez-Chicara and Sam Bennett yesterday. They are out. So the new top five in PGA Tour U, Pearson Cootie is at number one, Logan McAllister at number two, and then Mankey, Bridgman, and Phillips are three, four, five from Washington, Clemson, and Georgia. Other names of note, Cole Hammer and Alex Fitzpatrick sit at six and seven. Alex Fitzpatrick, the younger brother of Matt Fitzpatrick. And then Amon Gupta is up to 13th. He's one spot behind Christopher Goderup, who is at number 12 for Oklahoma. So a couple of more uh, Sooner and Cowboys there at 12 and 13. Tyler, what do you think about the new PGA Tour U rankings minus Eugenio lopez Chicara and Sam Bennett? Yeah, you know, definitely big news with uh, for the state of Oklahoma with Chikara announcing he's coming back in. You know, guys, what was was this the second or third year now that they're that they've done these rankings? And mm-hmm. that was one of the biggest complaints we had for years. Was man, these guys were playing good college golf, and they deserve more status than they get because you know we'd have guys who would debate on if they want to come back for their spring year or not because they wanted to go do Q school. And with the timing of Q school being in in the late end of the year from August to October, really, I mean, it's you you get these college guys get done with the championship late May, early June, and they don't have anywhere to play, and so. You know, just looking at these rankings, I think that it's really good that they've been able to implement this. I know we've had some complaints about, I, I don't know, maybe just the amount that it's updated and we, there's not really a clear structure on, you know, like, for example, if someone's in sixth, what do they need to do to get up to fifth in the last tournament? You know, there's not really anything clear. Like with the FedEx Cup, we know that, you know, if a guy finishes 15th, a guy needs to finish fifth or worse or whatever it may be for it to work it seems to be more clear so maybe the longer that we do this the more that we'll have a clear cut thing but i will say this guys i just think that it's great to have these college golfers giving them a chance to get out on the big stage a little bit faster than they even used to i have a question for colby uh that i don't know the answer to and i don't know if you do either but do the points change as far as stroke play and match play? Because I know Ooh. that some conference championships are match play, such as the SEC, where the Big 12 uh, championship is stroke play, and do those uh, PGA Tour U points change? So off the top of my head, I don't know the exact answer, but my thinking would be 
it would still be based on finishing position. Yeah. So, like, at the WGC Dell match play down in Austin, you know, you get bounced in the, what would that be, the round of 16, you finish T9 because right. that's everybody who gets bounced. So I would think it would be based on finishing position, but that's a good question because there are some unique formats later in the season that have an impact. I mean, for guys like Hammer and Fitzpatrick, who are one and two spots outside the top five, that's that's huge. And then you look down at Gupta and Goderup are trying to make their way up, or at the very least, keep themselves in the top 15. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. Good question. Um, but yeah, just looking down the list, it seems like Pearson Cootie is a lock, which is pretty pretty cool considering that he missed almost half the year this year uh that he is still in that top spot just shows how good he played before and after that injury uh I would think uh that Logan McAllister would would make the top five don't you it, right yeah I, he's I, number two right now right yeah. I mean I but I think that he's gonna be a lock right I would assume yeah I mean so the gap from Pearson Cootie to Logan McAllister is about 194 points the gap from Logan McAllister to Cole Hammer in sixth is about 60 points, 55 points. So, I mean, Pearson Cootie's a lock at number one. He's too far ahead to be caught. Logan McAllister to Cole Hammer, it's not the biggest gap in the world, but I would still feel pretty comfortable that Logan McAllister will finish inside that top five. Of the guys that aren't in right now, I would have to consider Alex Fitzpatrick probably the best player that is not in the top five right now. Would you agree with that? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know, Taylor. Do you have him up in front of you? Joe Highsmith is Joe on that Heisner. list as well. Yeah, got her up. So I'm looking got for the updated up. list. The list that I've had have, has Shakara still in it, so I'm trying to find it. I mean, I mean, just look at the guys that are in the top five. I mean, I think Goddard's got to be way up there, doesn't it? I mean, he's right, what, 13th but, or whatever. But is he too far back to to even make it? Uh, probably. Yes. I think yes, I, I was kind of so. considering of the guys that are that still kind of have a chance to make that top five. Yeah, I think that that probably. That probably cuts off after Alex Fitzpatrick at seven. He and Cole Hammer. Yeah. Uh, and now that Cole Hammer's a Brady brand guy, that's probably going to knock a couple of strokes off his game, maybe. <laughs> we'll see if that helps him down the stretch. I still but, need to look into that. Yeah, but it's fascinating just with the guys dropping out, other guys moving up, getting chances at cards. Absolutely. Uh, just kind of the way it all worked out. Just another, just another kind of subject to add to the drama of postseason college golf, which yeah. I think doesn't get enough publicity. No, absolutely. And it's starting to get more and more, which is a good thing. Yeah. So Thanks uh, to us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Taylor, did you have a chance to watch The Shark last night, 30 for 30? No, I didn't. I wasn't able to see it. No, I had a little bit two more things going on. Got it Got it on the DVR, ready to go. But, uh, but yeah, definitely. With, with Greg Norman right now, especially, even more so than even a couple years ago, he's going to get a, a big, uh, big crowd to figure out what exactly went, went. I don't know if wrong is the right way to phrase it, but what could have been better in his career? Yeah, it's it's really impeccable timing oh. for this 30 for 30 to drop. Absolutely impeccable timing. So I wasn't, I wasn't able to watch it either. We were actually out last night, but I plan on watching it in the very near future. Sam, you watched it. I did watch it. Give us, give us some highlights. Okay, well, there's no spoiler alerts really with this one because it's more of a documentary, guys. I, I mean, mean, yeah, you, everybody knows what happened. <laughs> but uh, they took it to the next level. If you watch the Jordan documentary, uh, not only did they have the video that Greg Norman had not watched of that final round in 1996, he, oh, he watched so the good. final round of a bunch of different tournaments where the golf gods were not in his favor, as he liked to say, and he said it uh, even a little bit uh, with more English than that. Um, but basically, uh, they took it to the next level, and they had him go play Augusta National. Number one, I saw on Twitter, Colby, and you saw this too, that a bunch of people were surprised that Augusta National gave that kind of access 
process and let them go out and film not only out on the course but in the clubhouse as well um so they gave a bunch of access but i was even more surprised that greg norman agreed uh to kind of go relive those bad memories out at augusta national but greg did say the shark did say that you know, when, when Augusta National opens its doors, you don't turn it down. I mean, I, I feel like he still has uh, a huge respect uh, for Augusta National. I thought that the quote that really stuck with me of the documentary was, it's so nice to come out here without all the pressure. You know, it, it, he's sitting on the first tee and he's like, wow, like, you know, I've never actually gotten to enjoy Augusta National. Uh, a few things that kind of stuck out to me uh, was I didn't know that Greg Norman's mom was a, a three handicap and that she actually introduced him to the game and he was uh, a, a little kid that liked to play all sports except for golf and then he saw his mom doing it and say and said to himself if my mom can do it then I can definitely do it um, so I thought that that was interesting um, you know they, they showed this one shot and I gotta ask Woody about it uh, he hit this driver off the deck uh, I think it was in a shell's wonderful world of golf. And Steve Elkington uh, told this story about Greg Norman hitting this driver off the deck out of a divot almost onto the green. And it was one of the most unbelievable shots I've ever seen to this day. And I don't think that I've ever heard of that shot before. I, I'm, I'm definitely going to ask Woody about Bob Tway um, and all of that stuff. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, but it had a lot of Jack Nicholas, had a lot of Nick Faldo. I thought that, you know, Nick Faldo, People don't realize since he's on TV, guys, that he was a stone-cold killer back in the day, and he didn't say many words at all. I think that the the funny part of the, the documentary was when they were like, I, I think he is using all the words he didn't use nowadays, you know, back in the day, because he never really talked um, – he had a bunch of Jack Nicholas, and he was semi-annoying as always, you know, kind of taking credit for Greg Norman's success in some areas because, <laughs> you know, Greg Norman went to him for advice and, and, and stuff like that. And he he's always, he always kind of has that guy's a, a, a passive-aggressive cockiness to him uh, that rubs me the wrong way. Uh, oh, no, I think he just knows that kind of he he's left his mark well, on the game of well, golf. he did. He did, but it, it just – comes off like oh I, I to me I I I didn't like uh what I heard from Jack Nicholas but it was cool to hear some of the advice he gave him like just concentrate on grip pressure and he goes out and wins his first major but my over overall takeaway guys was that the press used to be ruthless to, to Greg Norman they would get in there and just just grill Greg Norman after choking. They were like, why'd you choke this time, Greg? And, and he'd a serious question. go back at him. Serious question. American press or Australian press? Was that evident in the documentary or not really? Not really, but I okay. will. He did tell one story, and I, I can't remember the guy's name. Woody would remember it. Um, but he saw... Uh, Greg Norman said that he saw this British, old British reporter, you know, with the pipe hanging out of his mouth, walking to the, uh, as Greg Norman says, the car, the car park at Augusta National, and uh, and and he said, you know, I'll say it on, I'll say it on the podcast, but he goes, Greg, even you can't fuck this one up, <laughs> and, 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 and that's so good, and, and basically, but. Norman said that that stuck in his mind all night and that he came out, that was in 96, um, and it stuck in his mind all night. And everyone, like even uh, in the morning time, he called the TV station saying, you know, I, I hate that you guys are saying that I'm going to choke again. Like his mind was all other sorts of places. Um, but anyways, back to my over overall takeaway was that 
Greg Norman created this persona that he couldn't live up to. And to me, that's just a bigger, you know, indictment on everyone else that tries to build this persona. And, and, and it's a big, big achievement that Tiger Woods built that persona and yeah. was as clutch as he was because Greg Norman had the had the chance to kind of be Tiger Woods, the great businessman, the, you know, perfect body, the perfect looks, the women love him, you know, and, and the nickname shark, the shark, Tiger I mean, shark. They, they talk all about that. And, and Tiger was so, so clutch and Greg Norman just wasn't. And, and it, people always talk about the chip in with Bob Tway. Norman shot 40 on that back nine. You know, he, he made three. Oh, bogeys. wind picked up. It was playing tough. He made three bogeys 80 in 87. They've never talked about really. He had, you know, the, the probably his worst break was that he hit such a good putt on 18. Um, but, you know, he always talked about, you know, how the golf gods were not on his side. And no, Greg, you just put yourself in those positions, and Brandel said it on the documentary, you put yourself in those positions, something bad is going to happen. Um, but I know you guys didn't watch the documentary, but just your overall thoughts on Greg Norman, I thought he came off as kind of unlikable in the documentary. I think that he's pretty full of himself and, and you know I think with the older age he has accepted the fact that it was partly his fault but back in the day I feel like a lot of people didn't like him for for just reasons yeah so Taylor I don't know it sounds to me like back in the day and then now even in the the modern era Greg Norman is really good at having things go well go well go well until it's time to get it across the finish line yeah and then he can't quite get it across the finish line and, and let's it, be it just fair. it just seems like that's the way uh he's chosen to live but let's be fair Bad things did happen to him. I mean, he got holed out on to lose golf tournaments four different times in PGA Tour events, twice in majors. I think you missed my my live shtick. I didn't. I L- missed live it. golf invitational what, series. What <laughs> he he struggles to get things across the finish line. Yeah, exactly. That's just the, <laughs> that's, that's just the way he's chosen to live. Yeah, Taylor. that went over my head. But anyways, guy, I, I was just Taylor. I was just saying, like, you know, the whole point of the documentary was basically that yes. Yes, he. the golf gods did not go his way, and everyone knows that, but there were a lot of things that he did to put himself in those positions. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, to, to Colby's point about uh, about the live golf stuff, I mean, it's, it's almost like once he gets towards the finish line, he starts living in his own fantasy world, right? Because he starts saying, oh, we got all these number one players coming to play, and, and we've we, you know, got all this, all this going on, and that's probably what he did in these major championships. You know, like you said, Sam, he's calling the TV people to say hey you know don't say i'm choking and all this it's like dude just watch the tv on mute i mean i think that's pretty easy to do but sitting here too, guys going through a little bit of math here i may be one or two off with this number but i counted 20 20 top fives in majors for greg norman with only two wins so i mean he, he definitely put himself there in position you look at some other thing won the varden trophy three times the byron nelson trophy five times as well was the leading pj tour money uh, leader three years as well so i mean I mean, this guy played some of the best golf that, that the game has ever seen, but whenever it gets down to the amount of major championships you hold and what you do on the Sundays of those majors, that that's really what tarnished him. I mean, you look at it as well. He had, let me count here, one, two, three. He had seven second-place finishes in majors, one of which was obviously 86 when, when Jack won and then 96 um, when uh, when Faldo beat him when he led by six. So definitely had his chances to win and probably should have about at least four majors, probably five or six when it's all said and done, which is the same as Nick Faldo. I think Faldo had six as well. So Greg would probably get thrown into that category. But 
also, guys, let, you know, not only is Greg known for what he did on the course, but, you know, he's got the, the Greg Norman apparel line. He's got the wine going on, uh, designs golf courses, TBC San Antonio, one of which that he's done. Uh, they just played a tour event there a couple weeks ago. So Greg has definitely been able to make his money and do things off the course. They've been able to kind of build his brand a little bit more than even on the course did. But at the same time, guys, kind of like y'all were saying, we got to – what did you do for us on those Sundays of those major championships? And he just – while, yes, he did get just flat-out beat sometimes, he obviously cost himself a lot more times than he got beat just off of my personal opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Joining us now, our man Jim Woodward. Woody, coming on every show now to talk golf with us. We appreciate you taking some time for us. Woody, how you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. I, I, I'm going to wait one day. The wind will quit blowing in Oklahoma. <laughs> I know it will. And, and, Don't and hold you your know breath. what? When it does. Yeah, when I does, I might actually break out my golf clubs. I don't know, but we'll see. <laughs> I feel the same way. I'm not going to break them out when it's blowing 40 like it has the past two weeks. But one of these days, uh, no. we're going to get one there. One of these days. Yeah. So, uh, I hear you. Woody, I'm curious. You know, we talk about Jordan Spieth last week and about how he's lost and, you know, he just can't find his golf swing. He's thinking too much. Missing the cut at the Masters is a low point. And all he does is just go out and win a golf tournament. Beats a top five player in the world in the playoff. He just... I don't know if he's figured it all out, but he figured enough of it out for a week to hoist a trophy, and that's pretty impressive. Well, and he actually struck the ball pretty good because the one thing he didn't do is putt as good as he normally does. So, um, uh, you know, we made mention of the fact that he's, he looks really uncomfortable with his practice swings, whatever he's doing. But, you know, I think that shows you guys how good he is. Uh, I think I think he'll be he'll work through it simply because he's such a bulldog. He won't, I think he'll refuse to be bad. How about that for a statement? And uh, it might seem unorthodox what he's doing, and it might seem kind of weird to you and me and everybody else, but the bottom line is, is he trusts Cameron McCormick. He, he trusts himself more than anything, and I think he's just got so much confidence in himself that uh, he could maybe go to playing left-handed and win, for all I know. <laughs> good Lord, he's that good. Woody, we've seen a couple winners on the PGA Tour so far this year lose shots to the field putting. Um, when you were out there on the PGA Tour, uh, tell me a little bit about what your mindset was. Was I mean, what was the most important part of the game to you? Because it, it, it's overwhelming week after week that guys can putt, you know, average to below average and still win golf tournaments as speed did really can't did it on the weekend as well. And he was in that playoff. Um, but you can't ball strike. You can't be average on your ball striking or below average on your ball striking. Was that something that you guys focused on while you were on the PGA tour? Oh, I think it's really true, Sam. Of course, we didn't have near the statistics they got now. Right. We didn't. We didn't have any of that stuff. Believe it or not, I know that sounds hard to imagine, <laughs> but uh, we could count our putts. Right. <laughs> and we could know if we're putting good or not. We could count how many fairways we hit. We could count how many greens we hit. But I think, I think when you come, when you talk about the best players in the world, I think that. The one thing that I thought was the most important thing was driving the golf ball, believe it or not. I felt like if I always drove the ball good, it gave me a chance to then hit a good iron shot. If, if I was playing out of the rough or chipping out of the trees, 
then I really had to depend on my putting and my chipping. But I think with all the technologies out there, and that's where it's a good news, bad news. I think sometimes they get so involved in hitting golf balls and hitting shots that they kind of forget how to play a little bit. But they also have so much technology that their ball striking has improved so much that they can have an average week and still win the golf tournament. And and I think you guys realize that they're hitting a lot of fairways and a lot of greens on a certain week. You don't have to be an all-world putter to find a way to get a few shots in the hole. Now, you don't shoot 25 under, 30 under if you're not putting good, but you can shoot 10, 12, 13 under and not be putting all that great because your ball striking is so good. So it's a great question, Sam. And I think that you're seeing better ball strikers today than we ever saw before. I mean, I told you stories. I mean, I played with Ben Crenshaw a number of times. I thought he hit the ball crummy. Lauren Roberts was one of the worst ball strikers I'd ever seen. But he got it in play and then put it and chip better than everybody. So I think there's just a greater majority of great ball strikers now than there ever was. Woody, uh, before Spieth ended up winning excuse me, on Sunday, his biggest takeaway from the weekend was the short putt that he missed on, on 18 on Saturday. And the reason that putt blew me away so much wasn't really the fact that he missed it. It was the fact that uh, three weeks ago at San Antonio, he did the exact same thing. He missed about an 18-inch putt, almost the exact same way. It wasn't on the 18th hole, but it was still during the round. Based off your experience and what you've seen from players, because I, I can't say the last time I saw a third player miss two tap-ins within the span of a month. So, I mean, what, what do you think goes on in a player's head to where those really short putts, those tap-ins, just aren't 100% committable? Well, and his, his wife, I think it's funny that Annie, she doesn't know anything about golf other than the fact of what she's around it every day. She she noticed, hey, stop and think before you put a ball. Uh, you don't, don't just get up there and hit it. And we saw that with Scotty Scheffler the last day on the 18th hole at Augusta. If that mind wanders just a little bit, and you guys know as well as I do, the object of golf is what? To get the ball in the hole as few strokes as you can. So an 18-inch putt is just as important as a 290-yard tee shot. And I think sometimes they just kind of, um, you know, just assume they're going to make that 18-incher hanging on one leg or whatever it might be. And they just don't take the time to focus on it. And then when they miss it, it's like, oh, my, what, what just happened? And, and, I mean, you can see the shock on their faces every time a guy misses something from a short distance. He just can't believe he just missed that putt. I think it's all about staying in the moment. And even though golf doesn't take – it takes, like we've discussed, five hours to play the round sometimes, which is ridiculous. It should take four or less. Um, that's another story we can get into. But I think you just got to realize that every shot is very important, and it's really easy to let your mind wander and think, well, that's a gimme almost. Heck, I can I can hit that almost left-handed and make it. Uh, not really. And that one shot could have cost him – everything i mean you know as well as i do he could have lost the playoff and he could look back on that 18 inch putt when it was all said and done one stroke in golf think about this for a minute guys what if those guys out there what there's one guy on the tour that's say 50 is on the money list whoever that guy is if he was one shot better every round well you know what 
he might win every week, wouldn't he? Yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, when guys are gaining, you know, more a shot or more on the field uh, per round, uh, that that's the difference between that a half a million dollars right there, Woody. Uh, to Every finish it, to finish up on uh, on Spieth, do you think that this? I asked this on the last podcast. Do you think that this was just a flash in the pan RBC Heritage Tournament, or do you think that this is actually going to propel Spieth uh, to maybe winning a major uh, here in the upcoming three majors? Well, one thing we know for sure, the boy likes to win golf tournaments on Easter. And uh, <laughs> if you've looked at the if you looked at the schedule, you know when the Easter Masters. falls next year? Yes. Uh, hello. So uh, I, I must, he must have a pretty good connection with God because Easter <laughs> seems like a real good day for him. Yeah. So I I truly believe Jordan Spieth will – Will win majors again. I think he's going to be around just like Scotty Scheffler for a long, long time. Unless, of course, the dreaded injury comes around. And we never know what's going to happen there, okay? But I said it when we started. He is a bulldog. He believes in himself more than anybody. And that's the most important thing for a professional athlete. It doesn't matter what everybody else is saying. It matters what he thinks in his brain and his heart. And I would never bet against that little son of a gun. I'll tell you that right now. Woody, another guy that they thought was going to be around for a long time for major championships was Greg Norman. And we had the 30 for 30 come out last night over Greg Norman and kind of his battle against the golf gods uh, was what it was all about. And we talked a little right before you came on about the great access that Augusta National gave him. And I couldn't believe that Greg Norman signed up to go relive all of that. And he, he watched that final round in 96 for the first time on the iPad during the documentary. Um, but I have a few questions, Woody, and, and I'll start off with a fun one, kind of. Um, you know, they showed this video, I think it was a, at a Shell's Wonderful World of Golf, um, and it, it, Steve Elkington said it was the best shot he had ever seen. Greg Norman, out of the rough, out of a divot, hit a, uh, hit a uh, driver off the deck to about right in front of the green on this par five. And Steve Elkington said it was the best shot that no one ever talks about. And, and did, did, what, what were your overall takeaways from Norman that he could just do things that other people couldn't do when the, he wasn't under the gun? You know, Norman, he, he was one of those kinds of guys that was so impressive. Um, th- that sound I've often talked to you guys about when a really good player strikes a golf ball. Um, and he was like an Adonis. He was like a god. I mean, he was in such physical condition where uh, none of us worked out back then, guys. I hate to tell you, our <laughs> workout did not exist. And But he is did. And uh, he was, I guess he was ahead of the curve before a lot of us. What happens in golf, I think, a lot is we have what we call scar tissue. And he came so close so many times. And where Norman failed on that Masters, let's give credit to Faldo. Yep. Before we just say Norman just choked like a dog, which he would even admit he lost it that last round. But part of the reason he lost it is we were talking about Cam Smith. You remember a couple of weeks ago? Yep. If Cam Smith can come out of that box, birdie, birdie, birdie. Let's just be – let's just – talk about ifs and buts again which we shouldn't but we do and 
he gets birdie, birdie, birdie. Let's say he birdies three and Scheffler doesn't chip in, he makes bogey. And all of a sudden now, you know, Cameron Smithland went in the golf tournament, didn't he? And Absolutely. oh, all of a sudden you start pressing a little bit. And Faldo was a machine. He wasn't as impressive a ball striker and as far as overpowering a golf course like Greg Norman was, but he'd bore you to death. He would hit fairway, green, fairway, green. You remember the the British Open he won? He made 18 parts. Unbelievable. I don't know if you guys remember that when he won that tournament over there. 18 parts in the British Open is pretty hard to do. There's so many train wrecks out there with weather and everything else. He was that kind of, of, of just grinder is the best way I can tell you. And I think that day, he just wore Norman out. Now, Norman got off to a little bit of a shaky start. Faldo did not. But Faldo never let up. He never gave an opening. He shot 67 that last day, and it was probably one of the most impressive rounds of golf you'll ever see. And if you're playing with him and you're watching that, and you're waiting for a mistake, and he never gives you one, what do you tend to do? You press. You press. You try to make something happen. And in all, I mean, Greg Norman's not my favorite. He was probably kind of a turd of all turds. He was was one of those guys that thought he was all that in a bucket of chicken, okay? Hey, I got some questions about that coming up, Woody. (laughs) Well, that's what he was. But, you know, a lot of people will call him arrogant. They they would say he was full of himself, a lot of things. But I think any world-class athlete has got a little bit of self-confidence. Wouldn't you boys agree to that? 100%. I absolutely, because if you don't have that self-confidence, I mean, you're, you're not going to make it very far. I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, we talked about Spieth earlier, and that's one of the reasons that he's been going on. It ain't been because of the putter or the swing, in all honesty, it's been that, that self-belief. But but kind of getting back on the Norman train, Woody, obviously when you were watching him play, you were you were still playing, but now being a teaching professional, when you go back and you, and you see those final rounds that he would play in majors when he wasn't able to get the job done, do you see anything from a teaching technical standpoint that changed whenever the pressure got going on, it, whether it be with the putter, with the driver, irons, whatever it may be? What are the things you noticed with him that didn't go right whenever uh, whenever those Sundays and majors came up? You know, we, we, we had talked about this a little bit before where he had a tendency to really, what I call, block the golf ball. He would uh, he would, he would he was a slide that foot back just like Scotty Scheffler. And, and when he did it and he would get under a little bit of a gun, he would ha- have a tendency to really blow the ball to the right. And um, I think subconsciously when you've got a bad shot in your repertoire and you know it's come back to haunt you on more than one occasion, you start – that demon gets into your head and you start kind of worrying about that shot. And uh, – uh, you know, he pulled it. He he did it a couple of times. The most critical one, what he did was when he hit in the creek on twelve. I mean, I think that just kind of more or less sealed his fate at the Masters when he blocked it into Ray's Creek, uh, kind of like Cam Smith did. Right. Um, that was his nemesis. That was the one when he got just a little bit maybe untrusting, for a better lack of words, he would tend to flare that golf ball that way, and then. He worked so hard not to do it. On 16, what's he do? He yanks it in the water. Uh, on 16 left. Okay, so 
I think any good player always has that shot that is burned him, and it's that scar tissue I was talking about. It's there. It's in the back of your mind, and no matter how great a player you are, the only ones that were really good at not doing it were Tiger and Jack. They actually could hit bad shots, and when you'd ask them about them, they'd say, yeah, I don't remember that, and they were dead serious. They don't remember. It, it just disappeared right out of their mind. They weren't haunted by it. Other players through the annals, if we look at golfers, are always haunted by it. If they've got that one shot that scares them, they just can't get that out of the back of their mind. And that, I think that was what Greg would do periodically, especially in majors. He would tend to have a couple of things that would cost him. Woody, I, I just want to add one more thing before we move on to other things about Norman. About 96, I thought that an interesting part of the documentary was when Faldo said that he knew that he was probably going to win the golf tournament on number eight when Norman spent about 30 seconds over that golf ball. Not 30 seconds to hit the ball, but 30 seconds over the ball um, on that second shot on number eight. And then Norman said that he knew that he was probably going to lose the golf tournament when he hit the second shot short on nine. Um, just talk about the importance of a pre-shot routine because Greg Norman's definitely changed coming down the stretch. Oh, and I think I think that's something. That's a great analogy there, Sam. It could be because they tell you over and over again that if you stay in your routines – it shouldn't matter that you're playing for the Masters or a $2 Nassau with your buddies. Right. If you're in your routine, then you're not letting those demons come in. If you get out of your routine, then something in your brain is calculating something that's probably going to be bad. And like you said, 30 seconds over that ball was not even close to what his normal routine was. Okay. Right. And then you make mental mistakes on nine when he said he lost the golf tournament there. I tend to agree with him because what's the one thing on nine they always talk about? Can't yeah, I got to sure. get past that false front. Exactly. You cannot make that mistake. So, was that a swing mistake or was that a misjudging mistake? Either way. It's a brain thing that kicks in that he made a fatal mistake there. And possibly he was trying to hit it really close there, and he took a shot at that. Maybe the ninth hole isn't the time to make that gamble. You know what I mean? Cause and he was still leading the golf tournament burn. at that time. Yes, yes, he was. And that's the thing. He'd had a rough nine. But he could have maybe played through it if he if he doesn't bogey that hole and he doesn't then the then the wheels are starting to come off and for him to even admit in that show that he felt like he had lost the golf tournament right there ooh we do you think you'll ever hear Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods talk about one shot where he thought he <laughs> lost the golf tournament no, especially, no especially that with, didn't enter their mind. Especially with a full nine holes to be played in the golf tournament. That's, right. I mean, that's just oh, absolutely no, wild. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt about no it. Doubt. So uh, I think another yeah. part of the problem could have been he had dirty golf clubs because he did not have a Groove It wet club scrub. Have it over to <laughs> GrooveIt.com right now. Quite possibly the finest golf club cleaner ever made. Put a little water in there. Get that on the club face. Wipe it off. You are good to go. It holds onto your bag by the most powerful magnet that you have ever seen in your entire life. I used it at Prairie Dunes early and often this past weekend. 
in, uh, and it was a lifesaver as you take those nice big fillet divots off that nice overseeded rye up there at Prairie. So grooveitbrush.com. Check that out. Woody, I also wanted no to, Woody, I also wanted to ask you, you already kind of brought it up, so we'll go there. They have Brandel on this documentary, um, and he was kind of bringing up the fact uh, that no one really liked Greg Norman. He said that, you know, Greg Norman would kind of boom, 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 fly in on his helicopter and then boom, 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 fly out on his helicopter, never really talk to anyone. Uh, and the talk on the tour was that the, he, the guys thought he was, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of a dick. <laughs> and so that's what Brandel said. <laughs> On the podcast, I mean, on the uh, documentary. Now, you know, speaking to that a little bit, do you think that that plus the press just being ruthless, the press was just so ruthless to Greg Norman, do you think that Greg, knowing that everyone was against him and that he kind of had this persona that he couldn't live up to, hurt him coming down the stretch in majors? Oh, I think... I think it's just human nature. If, if you're if you're a, a golfer or you're an athlete or you're playing with other people, you want their respect, right? That I think that's the most important part. I think a lot of guys out there respected his talent, but they didn't want to go dinner with him. Uh, they didn't they didn't want to hang with him. Okay. Well, you know what? It, it's cool to be a lone wolf for a while. Right, but after a while, that gets old. That gets old, where you feel like everybody's against you, and I think that was kind of what started this attitude that he wanted to get this world tour started way back when, when he wanted that, and he didn't have the following to do it. And guess what? Twenty-five years later, he still doesn't have the following to do it. He doesn't have that ability. He's not a pipe piper. He is not. If what do you think would happen right now? If Tiger Woods said, "I want to, I want to join up with the Saudis and I want to start this tour." Do you think Tiger Woods would get some guys to join? Absolutely, hundred uh, percent. Absolutely would. Greg Norman couldn't get people behind him in '94 or '90, whatever it was, when he started this '97. I think when he was trying to get this world tour started, and then when. Uh, the, at the at the time, Tim Fincham was the uh, the commissioner, and Fincham just squashed him, and those became what the World Championships that we see today. Now he comes out of this box and he says, "I'm going to have the Saudis, and I'm going to throw all this money at it." Well, you know these guys are already rich; <laughs> they already right. make a lot of money playing golf. Yeah, they don't want to join up for this tour as much as anything, even though they're threatened by our tour by saying, if you do, you're, you're kicked off, which would lead me to believe that you don't want to go there. Jamani and would do that to him. And you know, he would, uh, if he could legally, I'm not sure he can, but it's enough of a threat that these guys are going, well, maybe I don't want to do this. But the main thing is who's promoting it. And I, I'm not a big, Saudi fan. I think they have a lot of political issues. And in the world we live through today, you don't want to get tied to somebody that's a demon. And they seem to be kind of looked at as demons. And then you've got the main demon leading them. I just think this thing's going to die on the vine. That's what I think is going to happen because he doesn't have anybody who wants to play it. 
Hey, I, I agree with that, Woody. One last thing they showed in the documentary I have to ask you about because you know him very, very well is Bob Tway um, obviously holding out on Greg Norman. And here's what I want to talk about. I mean, you can go with Gomez or, or Tway or, you know, there are a few other guys that hold out on Norman um, to kind of beat him. Number one, just before we start that, it was semi-lucky that Bob Tway's ball came out of its own pitch mark in that bunker. It was sitting on top of it, and there was a little rut. I mean, did we not know how to rake bunkers back then, but Tway got a break there. Now, but hold on with, with that What Tway being lucky because the reason why Tway was even in that position, Woody, was Norman shot 40 on that back nine, and I think that Norman, just from my perspective, struggles with kind of playing the victim and, and even to this day kind of looks back and says, well, the golf gods were against me. You know, I think that he really, and he did say that he probably put himself in those positions, but I thought Brandel put it perfect when Brandel said, if you keep putting yourself in those positions after losing big leads, then something bad is bound to happen. Now, something bad happened to Greg Norman more than maybe other people, but I do think that Norman uh, didn't really look at it, look at the truth in himself uh, like he maybe should have. I think he probably would have won three or four more majors uh, if he had looked at that on the back nine instead of just saying, I got screwed. Well, I think that's a, another excellent point. I mean, we always think that he got kind of, as you said, got screwed a little bit because Tway hold a bunker shot. And I got to play a senior open at Inverness where, or, where he made that, you know, yeah. that hole out on him. And that bunker where that pin was, uh, you know, that's a miracle. That That is unbelievable. It's, it's, it's like Shedler holding that ball, holding that ball on number three at Augusta. It's not a shot you're going to – you could put 100 balls in there and he might hold out two of them maybe if he's lucky because that ball was moving fast when it hit the flag also. But I think that you're spot on that I think Greg always wanted to make an excuse for everything but the fact that he wasn't a very good closer. He had yep. – that golf tournament was his. If he just plays even a halfway decent back nine, that whole lot ain't going to mean anything. But as it worked out, um, you know, Rory McIlroy holed out on 18 at Augusta, which was a phenomenal shot there too. But the fact is, Scotty Scheffler didn't leave him have – he can hold out all he wants. Scotty Scheffler didn't back up. He went That's out there and won the golf tournament. Greg could have won the golf tournament. When it comes right down to it, Greg should have won the golf tournament. Greg should have won at Augusta that day. You know, Mario Faldo did shoot five under. If Greg plays Greg Norman type golf, he's going to win that one. He would have won the U.S. Open that Fudgy Zeller beat him in a playoff if he plays the way he's capable of playing. But it's real easy to go through life. And that, now we're going to go back on life stories for you boys. And that's what's fun with working with you young whippersnappers. I love it. <laughs> uh, we love you, know, you too, Woody. Golf, life, anything, it's real easy to blame somebody else. That, that's a, that's a cop-out. That, that, that is real simple to say oh, I got a bad break, or I, the golf gods were against me or anything else. They don't really want to admit that they didn't perform. It's easier to make that excuse than to sit and look in the mirror and go, you know what, I failed. People don't want to do that, but that's part of life. It's what we said many times. Life is not a merry-go-round. It doesn't just go in a circle, right? It has ebbs and flows like a roller coaster. You have high points and low points. 
I think it's how you handle your low points that will create your high points. And then also, how do you handle those high points? Do you do it with some, uh, you know, humbleness, for a better thing? Right. And if you do, then the people around you respect you more. Greg would tend to fly in on his helicopter, like you say, run over people, and then thumb his nose at you, and then leave. Right. That leaves a better taste. I mean, I think the greatest champions are really good at losing. Not that they like it. They don't like to lose, but they accept it. And they'll usually call themselves out, but they're extremely humble when they win. And I think that's what makes a true champion. That's why I've really never been a big Greg Norman fan and probably never will be. In fact, the fact that Randall Chambly called him a dick, it's, I, I, every now and then I agree with Randall. <laughs> he was spot on <laughs> with this one. He got him pegged, I'll tell you that. Well, and, and just the final thing I'll say about that, Woody, is I think that Norman didn't, you know, really – he didn't accept the fact – that it was partially his fault until way later, until he was even done with his career. Like he said, when Larry Mize chipped in on him uh, at Augusta National, he's just like these effing golf gods, you know, in, in the documentary. You know, it's just like uh-huh. he, he never accepted yeah. it until it was too late. But yeah, absolutely. All right, well, well, and, go and ahead, Woody, go ahead. Think about this, guys. Why would the golf gods turn on you? Because you're a dick. <laughs> I think that's a great place to wrap up our Greg Norman conversation. Let's take a break. There let's you come, go. Let's come back on the other side. We've got a lot more to get into. Jim Woodward with us here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. We're back rolling along here on a Wednesday, the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Head over to golfoklahoma.org. That is golfoklahoma.org. Make it your homepage. Go every day. Check out the great golf that we have in this state. Truly, truly great golf from the junior level all the way up to the PGA Championship, which is going to be here next month at Southern Hills, golfoklahoma.org. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the 73rd hole and Instagram, 73rd hole. All right, a lot of Greg Norman talk. Great conversation there. Uh, Taylor, you wanted to dive back into a little bit of what we saw last week at the RBC Heritage with Woody, maybe heading down a little bit of a Patrick Cantlay rabbit hole. So fire away with your thoughts on Cantlay. 
Yeah, I figured that, you know, uh, Cantlay was Woody's uh, surefire, or I guess Woody's caddy's surefire pick to win the Masters, so I thought this would be a good topic to bring up. So, you know, obviously, Cantlay, Woody, is kind of un- kind of under the radar, lost two playoffs this year with chances to win, lost to Scheffler at the Waste Management, then lost this last week, <laughs> excuse me, to Speed. And a lot of people talk about his putting, and his putting stroke in particular, where he takes a big, long backswing and doesn't go all the way through. Sometimes he sells on it, sometimes doesn't. I think he kind of over-accelerated on the 18th hole um, on Sunday. But I, I just find it interesting because it seems like it seems like that's kind of the new school method of putting in a sense where it's kind of the longer backstroke and your putter, almost your face through impact is the same as it would be on each stroke. But you have people like Phil Mickelson teaching, you know, take a set 25% back, 75% of the way through. And it seemed like a lot of the old players would do that, a shorter backstroke with a further follow-through. So from a playing and teaching perspective, Woody, where do you fall on that, uh, how far you take the putter back and through the base? You know what it comes down to a lot was the, the putting surfaces have gotten so much better, okay? Although I will, I will tell you this, the best putter, the guys that I saw putt the best in my career always had an acceleration to the golf ball, not through the golf ball. Which, if you look at Cantley, uh, I, I think of Ben Crenshaw, I think of Lauren Roberts, uh, I think of Brad Faxon. Um, on fast, perfect greens, that is a better way to stroke to get speed correct. Okay, accelerating a lot through the golf ball sometimes on these really quick greens can be a little bit dangerous because you get that what I call that spasm or that jerk. Uh, There's a lot of people that will say, uh, you know, you get powder burns on your hands when it explodes off there. I think that kind of stroke tends to do that. The other bad part about the longer backswing coming in and trying to accelerate to the ball, you called it. They tend to decel a little bit. I still believe, and I will go to my grave believing, you cannot teach somebody to be a good putter. I know that sounds stupid, but I think there's certain people that have that feel or that touch and they can do it either way they could be a snatiger where they pop it they can be a cantley where they're fluid through it it doesn't really again we get back to this where we look at even golf swings at impact a good putter is always very square they can do it a lot of ways but they're very square and the guys that pop it so to speak or accelerate a little bit through it either way their speed control is what makes them really, really good putters. Sometimes great putters. Woody, if I look at the numbers on Cantlay so far, just in the 2022 season, um, it's kind of ironic uh, that we're talking about his putting because all from the century up into the players, um, he was putting really, really solid. He gained over a shot on the field four different times, and then he wasn't hitting the ball as well. But when we look at the last two tournaments, the Masters was the only tournament so far this year that he lost shots on the field putting, and he lost 1.3 
22 shots putting uh, at the Masters, and then he goes out and putts bad again at the RBC, but he struck the ball by far the best he struck it all season at the RBC. Do you think that the master putting at Augusta National had anything to do with this? Oh, I think I think anytime you're playing a green that's that difficult at Augusta, those are really difficult greens to putt. Um, you can come out of there thinking you're really pretty good with your putter, or you can come out starting to questioning your putter. I think, as we always have said, there, the, you have your weeks, and uh, Cantley could say the golf gods have got him if he wanted to, with Spieth beating him and Scheffler beating him, that he should have won those two golf tournaments. But you didn't hear him say that, which is <laughs> I'm proud of him. He's he's ripe. He's ripe for the picking. You can tell he's he's kind of getting this role, getting ready to start again, where he's doing a lot of things really good. He's going to have that stretch, I think, coming up, guys, where he's going to play and win. I think he's too close. He's starting to hit the ball better. He's starting to get a feel for the greens again better. Um, I think you can just look at that. But I think it's more important for him to strike the ball good. I know he'll find that putter. It's when he's not really hitting the ball really good that he has to count on the putter that I worry more about him. So I think I think Sam, you're spot on again. I think he's look out for him. I, I think he's coming. I think he's going to win pretty quick. Yeah, I think so too, Woody. That's great stuff. Let's uh, turn our sights to the Zurich Classic of New Orleans. Woody, the lone team event each year on the PGA Tour, play a couple of days of best ball. First and third round is best ball. And then Friday, Sunday is foursomes, alternate shot. Uh, So kind of a unique format, a fun format. Do you like the team format? Do you wish there was more of it? Do you like it but glad there's only one? Do you not like it? How do you feel about the team format on the PGA Tour? I think it's I, – I love it. I don't know about you guys. I think it's cool. Love I, it. I like to see something love it too. different. I love, something different. You know what I mean? Do we want a bunch of these? Probably not. Uh, I, I'm i going to go out on a limb here and tell you, I think it helps us when it comes time to Ryder Cup and the President's Cup that there is some kind of event that these guys get to play in that is kind of formulated the same way, if you know what I mean by that. It, it is kind of good for them to get their feet wet doing something because it seems like it's every week, mano a mano, you got to just beat your buddy. And and every once in a while, you want to play with your buddy and, and have some fun. So I think this format is awesome. I love the golf tournament. What I really love is the pairing. Who gets paired together? It's the darndest thing I've ever seen. When I look at the pairings and go, heck, I didn't even know these guys were friends. I didn't even know they even knew each other. You know, how about Ryan Palmer with Scotty Scheffler? <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes, though, like that is a pairing uh, where they're friends. Now, sometimes I, I think that there's pairings that guys just say, well, who's the best player who doesn't have a partner, right, Woody? Right. Sometimes that does happen that way. To be really honest with you, a lot of times guys will go out on a limb and just pick somebody that doesn't doesn't have a partner yet. And uh, I don't know. I, I'd have to go back and look at the careers who's won this golf tournament. But most of the time, I think it's guys that have some kind of relationship with each other that end up winning because of the fact they're kind of buddies and they pull for each other and they they really don't don't go at each other's throats 
They're kind of just good friends. Right, Woody. All right, if we look at the pairings, I'll, I'll give off five uh, that I think are just the super teams um, of this tournament at the Zurich this week. You have Cantlay and Shoffley. Uh, those are the data golf favorites. And then you have Hovland and Morikawa, who are the betting favorites uh, this week. And then Palmer and Scheffler, like you said, Horschel and Burns, and then Leishman and Smith. And then it kind of drops down a little bit after that. And we can get into those other guys during our DraftKings and stuff picks. But um, out of those five, Five teams. Who do you like, uh, Woody? Well, there, there's there's two of those teams you mentioned that really jump right to the head to me. Uh, one is 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 uh, Hovland and Morikawa. Yep, phenomenal ball strikers. Okay, so when you're playing an alternate shot, it's pretty pretty much fun to know you got a guy that's usually going to hit it where you can find it. Okay. And and saying that, I think their short games might be a little lacking. But I do have to tell you a little funny story about Hovland. Um, I was told this by uh, Greg Lynn, who was the coach at Oklahoma City uh, Christian College. Mm-hmm. He he was telling me a story yesterday at Oak Tree. He had been watching this guy the other day, shifting. And the guy had a sock hat on and a rain suit. And so he didn't recognize him. And Greg went down to that little chipping green at Oak Tree, and this guy was behind the bunker flopping balls up onto the green. And Greg said there was a, a pile of balls around this hole that you could have put in a large bucket. And he said, I didn't recognize the guy. I couldn't figure out who he was. So he went into the golf shop and asked the pros, hey, who's that dude down there chipping? And they said, that's Victor Hoblin. <laughs> and and Greg thought the same thing. I thought. I said I thought he couldn't chip. Well, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right. of a sudden, he got a pile of balls around this hole. So it's what we've always said. These guys are not they're not on the PGA Tour because they're weak at anything. Even though we make fun of his chipping, so obviously he can chip. Maybe he, he just put those balls up it. by the hole to stop all of his all of his uh, blades. Well, yeah, I wasn't there, so I can't guarantee he did that. But I'm going to say he did just out of fun. But but that's why I say those two guys, those two are the first two that I, I think it, it screams to you there. The other one is who who we just been talking about, Cantley. He's due. Yep. He's due. He's playing really, really well. And he's paired with, who'd you say? Shoffley. Shoffley. There's the only thing I'm a little scared of there is Shoffley has not just been lighting the house of fire, but you know what? He's a world-class player. He's Olympic gold champion, so uh, it could happen at any time. The pairing that I'm going to be tickled at the most is our buddy Billy Holschel because he came out you know, this week and said, I'm, I'm tired of you people. I got this attitude, and I'm going to show it. So uh, Burns, on the other hand, is so low-key, calm-looking, and uh, Billy Holschel could volcano at any time. So that would be a fun pairing to watch. If you put me on the clock and said pick a team, I'm going to go with Hovland and Morikawa. Tito? 
Well, I mean, it's, it's hard to go wrong with it with two of the probably, what, top five best ball strikers in the world at work. But you, you mentioned they might not be the best chippers, but at the same time, you know, they're on the PJ Tour for a reason. If you hit every green, you don't have to chip anyway, which they may end up doing. So that's exactly. definitely a possibility. You know, Woody, well, one thing from a player's perspective I want to get your input on is a lot, a lot of people talk about this around the time of, uh, of the Ryder Cup President's Cup in the uh, alternate shot format is, Playing with a teammate who uses a different ball than you do, and you know, having right. to get used to half the time uh, playing with a ball that's not yours. What are the uh, the issues and the complexities that go into uh, decisions and and shot making whenever you're not playing a ball you're used to? <laughs> well, you, you're asking the wrong guy because if that some guns round, I don't care. I can play with any ball. <laughs> I'm not that good that I can tell you that a tailor-made feels different than a Titleist because <laughs> I've played with both. I've played with that. I've played with a Strixon because I found it in the creek. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Woody, <laughs> Woody, what are you doing in the creek? Why are you in the creek, Woody? I, well, I was looking for one of my partner's balls. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, the, the, the crazy thing is, is I do believe that these guys are so talented they can tell the difference. I, I, I think there are some guys that can. Um if that's a problem, before they even tee off, I would be really surprised they'd be paired together. Because if I've got a ball that I say, well, I don't really want to play your ball, then you probably shouldn't play with that guy. Um, that, that's just my two cents on that. I can't believe that they would put themselves in that kind of situation. And honestly, guys, if, if we take – you know, the top six, seven balls that are out there, whether it's Callaway, Titleist, TaylorMade, Strixon, there's a lot of great golf balls. They're almost all made the same now. They're not that much different, okay? The only difference is, is if you're playing, let's say, uh, Pro BX, and the guy you're playing with is playing just a Pro B. Well, we know the Pro BX is for spin. And it's usually for guys with higher club speed. The higher the club speed, they tend to go with the X. The lower the club speed, they tend to go with just the Pro V or or the TP5X and the TP, you know, whether it's that tailor-made bolt. So that would be the only thing I would think that you might have a little bit of a a difference on because – I would imagine Scheffler is playing the next ball, and I don't know that Ryan Palmer does. So he might see a little bit of difference in what his ball reacts and how it reacts, but I don't know. I just don't think it's that big a deal. I'm sorry. Woody, we've seen some talk on Twitter, like you said, during Ryder Cup weeks or or weeks like this where there's team events. Why isn't there, in your opinion, a tournament with the best women players in the world paired with the best men players in the world? It's coming. You think? I think it's coming. Yeah. I, I think it. I think you're going to see it. I think you'll see it in the next five years. I really do. I think that uh, uh, ladies golf, uh, as we call it, I call it the LPGA. I think they're really talented. Okay, they are. There is some really, really good lady golfers out there. I mean, really good, and they're starting to mingle more with. The, uh, the the PGA than they ever have. And and I think it's just a matter of time before something like that comes up. I, I would say that's going to happen before you'll have Champions Tour guys come back and play with the regular Tour guys. I think it, it, it's inevitable it's coming. 
I don't know when, but it's coming. Yeah, and I think it would be a lot of fun. Scotty Scheffler and Nelly Corda pairing up to go against, I, I don't know, Jordan Ooh. Spieth and uh, Danielle Kang. I mean, I, I think that would be yeah. awesome, Woody. I think it would be great fun. Yeah, and I think that, that there for a while, you know, of course, Hank Haney kind of made a, a mistake when he said, well, I don't know who's going to win, but it'll be somebody that's Asian. Uh, you got to be careful with that kind of stuff. It's not. It's not that the the Far East is producing South Korea, Japan. All those countries are producing a lot of really good lady players, and I think they're getting their names are out there now. And people are starting to accept that these girls are really good. They're really good. I know they're not from the United States, but God love it. it we can't have everybody in America win everything. That's just not the way it works anymore. So I think it's just getting to be where they're more accepted around television, around the world, and everything else. These girls are good. They're really good. And uh, I think if you ever went and watched them play golf, uh, they they don't just popcorn it out there anymore and hit these little dying quail shots. They can play, so that, it's going to happen. Woody, hey, I got to ask you before you get out of here. Uh, the PGA Professional Championship is going on right now, and there's a great story on golfoklahoma.org org uh, that you can read about Tracy Phillips. Who it would be a really cool Throwback. story if he got into the PGA in his hometown. Uh, number one, have you played some golf with Tracy Phillips? What's his game like? Uh, he is at uh, even par um, for the tournament right now, or at four under uh, for the tournament right now. Uh, shot even par yesterday. Um, have you played golf with him? And just talk about your experience playing in PGAs and making it through the PGA Championship or PGA Professional Championship. Well, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to mention that before I got off the air with you guys. Um, Tracy, Tracy is one of those guys that that, that you pull for. He is uh, he is not Greg Norman. He is not a jerk. He is a <laughs> really truly great individual and a phenomenal player. Tracy, when he was younger, was probably ranked as number one or number two best junior golfer in the country. Wow. And and you know what? He can still golf his ball. And I thought when I read that article this morning a little bit about it, because I, I really haven't paid a lot of attention to the Club Pro Championship like I used to because I used to play in it. But um, when I read that about Tracy, I thought to myself, too, okay, well, it's a golf god that there is a golf god, okay? Well, let me tell you something. Tracy will be at the PGA in Southern Hills, okay? Now, what he'll shoot. That golf course is probably going to be a little bit much for him, but the simple fact that he could qualify and get to play in his hometown with big volumes, and the golf gods, I truly believe, are going to let him. Now, and the only reason why the golf gods wouldn't let him is because they know that he's going to embarrass himself if he got there, okay? So that'd be <laughs> the only way, and I don't think Trace will ever embarrass himself on a golf course. Speaking, so, of, speaking of that, I, Woody, how, I, uh, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, I just love the fact that he's got a shot at it. I think it's Absolutely. great. Hey, hey, speaking of that real quick, you just brought up the distance differences. How much different is the distances uh, that they play that PGA professional uh, championship compared to the PGA championship? Well, now, the the, 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 the club professional, they'll, they'll stretch that sucker out. They'll get it to over 7,000 or right around 7,000. They're not afraid of that uh, because they – these club pros are really good. The, the the most difficult the most difficult club pro championship I ever played in was at Oak Tree. Okay, 
oak tree. Yep. Believe it or not, it was 2000. I know what I'm thinking is when it was. It might have been 99, but I can't remember exactly. That golf course was so hard. It was unbelievable. The cut, the cut for that tournament was 13 over par. Wow. We had had inches and inches of rain, so they couldn't mow the rough. The rough was so gnarly out there that if you hit it in it, you just had to hack the golf ball back to the fairway. I'll tell you how difficult it was. I made the cut. I think I shot like 75-77, okay? And I, I was pretty happy with it. The third round, I went out and shot 70 and went from like 50th to 8th. Wow. And I made I shoot seventy and I make double on seventeen like a moron. Oh. I shoot at the front pin, which I should have never done. And uh, anyway, I played the round of my life. The fourth round actually got rained out. Okay, <laughs> but I was I was kind of I was kind of happy but kind of sad because I really didn't want to play that golf course again. But I just made a heck of a move and I thought, well, heck, if I shoot seventy again, who knows what might happen? <laughs> but you know, the golf gods took care of me because they didn't make me go back out there and do it again. So it is not easy. In fact, I would go to club pro championships after that and I'd be standing on the range and it would be many years after it, five, six years I'm playing in a club pro and I'll hear guys on the range talking about the golf course we're playing, how hard it is. And then you'll hear a guy go, Oh, no, no. Did you play in Oklahoma and such and such year? <laughs> they still are talking about it. And to this day, we'll be talking about how difficult it was played. Much more difficult than any major I've ever seen at Oak Tree played by the pro pros. Much more difficult. It was the hardest golf course I'd ever seen at that time. Woody, last one. We'll let you get out of here. Best club pro you've ever played with? Oh, man. I'm putting you on the spot. That that is a really good question. Wanted Um, wanted to make you think before you got out of here. (laughs) Yeah, you did that for me. You did it really. There was a guy named Bruce Zabritsky that was really, really talented. And there's another guy named Bob Sowers that can really golf his ball. He Uh, he was at uh, the senior PJ last year, Woody. I think he finished top 10. Yep. Yeah, he probably could have. I mean, he is really, really talented also. I I think what was always crazy about the club pros when you played in it, you really didn't realize how many really good club pros there were until you went to that national event and you you started looking around and watching some swings and and playing some golf with some guys. Um, They were really talented. They're a very talented bunch. Um, Golf is not as big a deal now for a club pro, in fact, when I got in the business, that was one of the most important things you did. You played golf, you taught, and you played with the members. You you spent a lot of time on the golf course. It's changed. It, it is now, I think a lot of golf pros are, are glorified clerks. I hate to say that because I'm not bashing the PGA, but in a way, we're not putting out near the quality of really good players. And so – to get to watch these guys down there in Austin play this week that can still golf their ball. I'm always going to be a fan of a golf pro that can play. Okay. Not a professional golfer. That's PGA tour, a golf professional that can still go out 
and shoot under par and play and, and bring the game to his members and to the people in his city. And that guy's always going to be higher on my list than the guy that sold 4,000 shirts one year. Again, I'm not bashing that guy. Please do not get drunk. I don't want a bunch of emails going, well, you sorry, Zach. I'm just saying this is Woody. I still think of a golf professional as somebody that can play golf, even at the club pro level. That's, that's the guy that I think is the most impressive. They still can do that. Woody, that's great stuff. As always, we love having you on the show. Look forward to much, much more of it. Appreciate you sharing some insight today. Uh, go out and battle this wind at the golf course. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go do that. I'm, I, I'm glad I'm teaching and not playing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on their knockdown shots today, okay? <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Thanks, Woody. Good Thanks, guys. Thanks, Woody. I appreciate it. That's our man Jim Woodward joining us here on the 73rd hole. Happy to have him as a partner of the show. We'll be hearing a lot more from Woody moving forward. Some great stories, uh, some great Woody-isms, as we like to call him here on the 73rd hole. So uh, hit him up, tell him thanks for joining us here on the show. We love having him on, getting him, getting his perspective from a guy who's been in the game of golf for a long, long time. The Zurich Classic, ladies and gentlemen, TPC Louisiana taking place this week. Team event, so you'll have best ball on Thursday and Saturday, two-man best ball. Friday and Sunday is alternate shot. You'll remember last year in the playoff, Louis Oosthuizen piped one out into the middle of the Gulf of Mexico just off of TPC Louisiana and cost him and Charles Schwartzel the tournament. Cam Smith, Mark Leishman, the defending champions. Guys, let's start with our DraftKings lineup. I'll get uh, get us started here. Whoa, with my... whoa, whoa. whoa. Wait, 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 wait. What you got? What you got? It's 420. We have to do a how high. Oh, we have to do a how high on 420. You got somebody pulled up? Ryan Palmer, go. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that is a good one. Oh, man. Oh, yes, what a great holiday it is, the 420. <laughs> um, give me give me 23, Ryan Palmer. 23, Ryan Palmer. I'm, I'm going to say he, he just snuck into that top 20 at the peak of his career. Show me 19th for Ryan Palmer. T-Dub had to have cheated. Did you nail it right on the number? No, he missed it by one. Uh, his best ever rank after a tournament was 24th after the Farmers Insurance Open in 2021. Wow. That's last. Good job, recently. Ryan. That's, great get. that's pretty recent. I, I, I didn't think that he ever at his point was a top 15 player in the world because he had never won a, a really marquee event to push him up there. But I know he, he's been on. We talk about guys that get on runs. You know, his run uh, compared to DJ isn't like winning well, tournaments. His run is like it's top tens, and he's been on will, that a few times. I will say he's been on a pretty bad run uh, since that since that tournament because now he's ranked 85th in the world. So that wasn't that wasn't well, very long well, ago. Well, if only he could have got a better partner this week to team up. With. <laughs> know, yeah, right? no kidding. By the way, Jordan Spieth, uh, who was the other one? Jordan Spieth, John Rahm, who Ryan yep. Palmer won here with in yep. 2019, and then now Scotty Scheffler. Uh, Taylor, by the way, I, I was diving right into DraftKings. Uh, we also forgot strength of field. We do have strength of field this week, yes? Well, I thought, okay, so guys, I looked to, or yesterday, and we had a strength of field of 468, and I looked today to make sure it hadn't changed, and they took it off. So no longer a strength of field this week, which I thought was weird because they usually don't give world ranking points for this event. So then whenever I saw it uh, yesterday, I was like, oh, man, you know, I'm, I guess they finally changed something. You know, because we were talking about as well, the winner of this tournament doesn't get in the Masters and all that. So a little bit different on that. They still get a paycheck, obviously, which is what a lot of people play for. So, But uh, no, no strength of field this week. We did two days ago, though. All right, well, let's do this then. I'll get us started because I feel very confident about my cheapest option this week. 
Let me go with a couple of SMU Mustangs. Show me the old college teammates, Harry Higgs and Austin Smotherman at 7,100. I like the guys with the connections in this event. They're going to feel comfortable. They're going to play loose. They're not going to have to really find each other's games, all that good stuff. So give me Harry Higgs, Austin Smotherman, the SMU pairing at 7,100. Tyler, who you got? Well, I appreciate you skipping me, Kobe, since I, I just dominated the draft team school last week. Clear one. You know, I just made an eagle, and you just walked in front of me with your double bogey. So, that's <laughs> hey, all right. Hey, we play hey. ready golf here. I finished, I, I finished 16th out of 16th last week, so I felt like I deserved to go first with my cheapest option because of uh, the power lineup I threw out a week ago. Well, I, I gave you benefit of a doubt with a double there. You must have been playing double max. So, <laughs> I'll go ahead and get going here. 6,900, I'm going with. OSU Cowboy and a big breaker. Give me Peter Yulon, Richie Berwinski. They finished, I believe, fourth or third here last year. So got a little bit of good chemistry. Yulon's been playing some sneaky good golf as well. He's made, what is that, I believe, six cuts in a row. That's going all the way back. He finished second on the Corn Ferry Tour and making cuts on the PJ Tour. So really like that uh, sub-7,000 value this week. All right. Well, I'm going totally top-loaded this week. Uh, so I'm going 6,200 Kelly Craft and Kevin Tway, uh, almost said Bob Tway there, Kelly Craft and Kevin Tway this week at 6,200 um, for no other reason than the fact that I needed to pick someone down there and I'm going local because then my next pick is going to be Josh Creel and Chaz Ramey at 6,500. I think that, you know, just going with the local guys, I think it'll be fun to root for a little team action with the local guys uh, down there in the middle 6,000s. Yeah, I thought about taking Krill as well. He seems like a a good team a team player, especially on a TBC Louisiana. I think that's of course a suit up well for him. And anytime you get in these team competitions, guys, it you know it's it's not going to be one of those things where I don't think Stoffley and Cantley or anything are going to win by eight strokes. You know, you can't really just dominate these team events as well. It brings everyone a little bit back more into the mix. So my second cheapest option is is a team that Data Golf is just in love with. So I'm going to go ahead and ride it. Give me the team. 7,700, Maverick McNeely and Joseph Bramley. McNeely's been playing some of the best golf out of almost anyone in the world whenever you think about it, going back to how well he played even before the match play hasn't missed a cut in probably seven months or something like that. So really love Maverick McNeely and the Joseph Bramley team for less than 8,000. Yeah, so I'm going $100 cheaper for a guy who's had some success in this event and at this golf course. Kevin Kisner, been playing good, not great golf. Obviously had the big success at the match play. That's different format. It's it's just different. But I like Kevin Kisner. I like him paired with Scott Brown here, a guy who's played with in the past. So I'll take them at 7600 And then my next one, I'm going local, guys. Hashtag shop local. Robert Streb paired with Troy Merritt this week. Troy yep. Merritt's been playing some pretty good golf. Robert Streb made an appearance on a leader board uh, here recently, so I'm going to take Troy Merritt and Robert Streb, uh, who contended for, I'd say, two and a half to three rounds at the uh, RBC Heritage a week ago. Those two are at 7800 Gives me a lot of lineup flexibility to get the guys I want a little bit higher up. Taylor, who you got next? I feel a lot better about because I changed my lineup yesterday, and I had both of those uh, teams in my lineup that you just listed, <laughs> so I'm glad that I was able to change. I'm probably on the winning track now, even though I do like both of those uh, teams' chances. So, Going all the way up to 8,000, guys, talk about playing some of the best golf, really most underrated golf of late. Adam Hadwin, I mean, he's just been balling out. Finished 26, 4th, 7th, ninth his last four appearances. He's seen with Adam Stinson, um, played down at Barry D2, played there the same time that I played at Oklahoma Christian. One of the best ball strikers you'll find in the world. So I really like that team. I think that's a sneaky team who 
Well, I don't think that they're going to win the tournament. I think you can find a top five bet on them. I think you can get a good value on your investment. All right. Well, I, by the way, Josh Creel is playing with Chad Ramey, not Chaz Ramey. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Colby looked at me like, who is that? His evil twin brother? Like, Does he have a cousin? <laughs> is this a brother? Who's Chaz? Uh, anyways, uh, right, so my next pick, I am going up to 8,700, Sung M and Ben On. Sung J been playing solid, solid golf this year. Uh, and Ben On, I think, could be a good partner for him. I don't know why they're so far down uh, at 8,700. And then I'm going up to 9,000 with Harold Varner III and Bubba Watson. Ooh. I think that's a pretty good pairing right there. I think they could have a chance to finish at least in the top five of this tournament, T-Dub, at 9,000. Yeah, and nothing wrong with that at all. So my next pick is just a little cheaper than that 9,000, 8,900. This is probably, besides my Back one off. and done pick, I th- Back I think off. this is my team that I think is going to win it. Willie Z, Davis Riley. Are I, you I think shitting just, me? Oh, oh, That's my guys. winner of the tournament. That's my-, That's my winner of the tournament. That's my one and done. That's my one and done. That's my winner of the tournament. Oh, my Lord. Wow. Well, talking. Well, then it's just like Matthew Fitzpatrick last week. He doesn't have a chance to make it. Boy, that escalated quickly. What? That escalated quickly. Are all your thoughts out on Zalatoris, Riley, Taylor? I, I thought from I, it, so I, yeah, Are we yeah, all yeah, going? I mean, I, what I, I, I don't even that? have to prognosticate. Do we have to switch it up now? There's no way they make the cut. There's are no we chance. all three just going to roll this up to the top of the leaderboard? This is really bad. Are we going to stick with it? I thought that maybe this was a little bit off the beaten path. Not way off the beaten path, but I figured there'd be a lot of Ryan Palmers, maybe some some Shoffleys, maybe some Horschels and Burns. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got Zalatoris and Riley in my DraftKings at 8,900. Uh, apparently, we all like those guys, so I'll jump up to my next most expensive. Give me the Chilean Assassins, as I've just nicknamed them right now off the top of my head on this show. <laughs> Joaquin Neiman and Mito Pereira. I saw a picture of them the other day on Twitter uh, standing there. They're like 14 years old at the time. I'm standing here taking a picture together. Mito Pereira is way taller than Joaquin Neiman. And, uh, yeah, the Chilean assassin is going to have a good week, 9,200. Taylor, who you got next? I am going – you mentioned earlier Colby Shop Local, so I'm going to do it, 9,100. Give me T. Good Max Homa. I mean, we've heard it before many times on our show how good of friends they are, and I think they're going to have great chemistry. They finished, I believe, uh, top 20 here last year, the first, uh, the first time there as a team. So I think they're going to build – on that momentum, sorry, I misspoke. They finished 17th um, there last year. So, yeah, I definitely think they'll build on that. And I like their chances to uh, definitely make a nice paycheck this week. <sighs> All right, T-Dub, I'm going 9,100, Taylor Gooch and Max Homa. <laughs> uh, and then I'm going uh, Cam Smith and uh, Mark Leishman at 10,200 to round it out. I have a bad feeling about this week. It, it all went away when we all three jumped on the same team at the same time. All the good feelings <laughs> went away. Taylor, round out your lineup. <laughs> Uh, it, yeah, that's like I said, that is the ultimate kiss of death if I've ever seen it. So my next pick, I think this will be slightly undervalued here for my most expensive. 9,400, Tommy Fleetwood, oh Sergio God. Garcia. They, oh, oh, God dang, are you kidding me? I, it's my hey. most expensive option, <laughs> no, Fleetwood Garcia. Ryder Cup. It is ridiculous. I, I just uh, – Just to mention on Fleetwood, his last, his last uh, five events, <laughs> he's finished inside the uh, top 22. Finished 10th last week, 14th of the Masters, 16th. At the Valspar, I love me some Tommy Fleetwood, and Sergio obviously knows how to play on a team from Ryder Cup experience. Hey, let's just roll with it. We've never all three done the same one and done. I don't, but Taylor, I think, said he had a different one and done. I so, do have a different oh, one and done. So, but, do. but you're taking Davis Riley, right, yes. as your one and done yes. pick? I'm taking Davis Riley as my one and done pick because that gives us an extra Zalatoris. I see, I, I really like – 
Taylor Gooch and Max Homa at plus 2,800. You know, just as far as best bets right. of the week. But to get Davis Riley in a tournament where I feel like Will Zalatoris yes. is going to play well and that Davis Riley is no slouch himself, it, I can't see myself picking Davis Riley anytime. In exactly. The my my, my thoughts exactly. Point. All right, Taylor, you uh, you running out Ryan Palmer or who you got? Yeah, so so my thought process every year, guys, in this tournament is it's, it's such a special event for the one and done because it's the only <laughs> time that you can get someone twice in a season. And if I look back on myself and I say, I had a chance to use Scotty Sheffer twice or Willie Z twice, and I picked Willie Z, <laughs> then I, I'm just not going to be able to live with myself. Master's so hangover. I have to be able to use Scotty Sheffer twice this year in the one and done. I was shocked when I saw that him and Ryan Palmer playing together. And I'm like, oh, thank God, I haven't used Ryan Palmer yet. So I, I can use <laughs> both of them. And, you know, I, I will say this. I really like the uh, the TG uh, Max Homa team. Good thing about running them out. But I've already used TG and I've already used Homa in the one and done. So I'm a little bit screwed on that. See, I haven't used either. Should I should I switch to TG and Homa? Uh, it's up to you. You're going to you're gonna kick it. You're going to kick yourself when Davis Riley and Will Zalatoris shoot 61 tomorrow on the best ball. Give me Max Now, Homa. Sam, you're in a conundrum because you don't know do you pick TG or do you pick Homa? Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a tough choice. That's a, that is a tough that choice. That is a tough choice. No, I'm just rolling with Davis Riley. I can't go against it now that you guys are just – on him, too. So, I didn't use Ryan Palmer for two reasons, Tyler. Number one, I think there's a decent chance that Scotty Scheffler does have a Masters hangover, and they they end up finishing like T-17 this week. And the second reason that I didn't use Ryan Palmer, and arguably the most important, uh, is because I used him earlier this season. So... <laughs> <laughs> But that uh, would hinder your chances of using Ryan Palmer. This big week. time, yes. Yeah. So, Sam, you said you liked uh, TG and Homa at twenty-eight to one. That's nope. pretty long odds for those guys. And and another best bet tournament matchup versus your Chilean assassins. Really, They're, they are plus money versus the Chilean assassins. All right, I don't know. I like me some Neiman and Pereira, uh, Davis Riley and Will Zalatoris. You can also get them at twenty-eight to one. Uh, I'm trying to look for long shots, man. It's just Bo Van Pelt's in this you, tournament. You know, long Who is shots he playing with. I have no idea. You know long shots are going to have a chance here, but it's it's hard to pick the right one. I mean, if you want to go Kisner and Scott Brown, who've had some success, 85 to 1, if you're looking for like a really long shot, 150 to 1 for the SMU guys. Uh, Higgs and Smotherman that I mentioned. Taylor, your Uline Wierenski pick is 175 to 1. So there's some long odds if you feel like getting froggy, but I don't know, man. I, I can't really talk myself into it. And Pelt's playing with Ben Martin, by the way. Okay. For a long shot. Okay. Van Pelt, Ben Martin. Sounds like fun. Uh, <laughs> by the way, want to remind everybody to go see our good friends at Ring Family Dentistry. Ring Family Dentistry here in Oklahoma City. Uh, implants, Clearliner Orthodontics, they do it all. They have a simple philosophy. Work with what you have. Save what they can. Replace what they can't. Some dentists can overtreat, but it is their philosophy that patients in their office should only have done what they absolutely need. If they can't show why treatment is needed, they will not prescribe it. They explain their opinion, answer any questions, and ultimately leave all decisions to the patient. Patient, ring family dentistry. By the way, did you guys notice one last thing on the Zurich Classic that Louis Eusthazen said, screw that, I'm not showing up this year after watching my teammate blow it into the water. No, it was or, Louis. No, it, it was, was Louis. Louis that blew yeah. it into the water. Yeah, and no, that, I think that's Charles, why... Do you think Charles Schwartz will switch to, to a different South African sea bezel? So, I think that, that Louis, I think that Louis Eusthazen's neck injury, which forced, forced him to withdraw from the Masters, I think that neck injury originated at last year's Zurich Classic from turning his head so sharply so to the right. right. You're right, you're right. To see where his tee shot went. For some reason in my head, I had it that Schwartz will that shot. It was Louie. 
All right, good stuff, boys. Great stuff from Woody today. That is all we've got. Zurich Classic team event. Uh, Sports Animal, Sunday morning, yes, 10 sir. to 11. I will be there depending on Mother Nature. So okay. about three months ago, we bought tickets to take the baby to Oklahoma State to put her in some orange and black and get pictures and stuff mm-hmm. to an OSU baseball game on okay. Sunday. So Sunday is a high of like 63 degrees right now with north wind and 80% chance of rain. So if the forecast changes and it's nice weather, we're going to go to Stillwater to a baseball game with the baby. If it rains and there's no baseball game, I'm going to come do radio. So I'm leaving it up to Mother Nature. It's out of my hands, boys. Percentage chance. Uh, I mean, according to my phone, 80. <laughs> <laughs> according to my phone, there's an 80% chance wow. that the game gets rained out. So There it is. But it's all up to Mother Nature at this point. I'm, I'm powerless <laughs> in the equation. Uh, good stuff, boys. That is all hey, for guys, this week. Hey, Go real, ahead, T-Dub. Real quick, real quick before we get out of here, i got to ask a question about y'all's Hovland Moore Cowboy bet. Was, was the deadline set at the PGA Championship? Uh, the PGA champ. No. Okay. So June 1st. So there will be one event after the PGA championship, which is the, Col- it's either the colonial or the Byron Nelson. Cause I know that they uh, bookend yeah. the PGA, but we're very much running out of time for either of those guys to get to three, considering they're both at zero since we made the bet. <laughs> well, if they both get to one this week, baby, you're one step closer. Or I got two steps closer. Yeah. That would be a little, uh, little nerve wracking. I think, I think we're both going to get off the hook on that bet though. Yeah, I, I honestly forgot which one I have. <laughs> you have Hovland. I have Hovland. You have Hovland. Sounds like we have to make a new bet. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. With, with lower stakes. Because I might pick Morikawa at the PGA, but if <laughs> Morikawa I I, I wins think, twice. Yeah, that's I'm, a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. All right, that's enough. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Go to golf, GolfOklahoma.org, our great partners here on the show. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the 73rd Hole, Instagram 73rd Hole. Thanks again to Jim Woodward. Woody joining us on a Wednesday. Uh, he'll be with us much, much more often, telling some great stories from his time in the game of golf. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We're back next week here on the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. <laughs>